But if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now and open up your copy of God's Word with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. When we become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, what is one of the first things that we should do? Now some of you may say, well, one of the first things we should do is, is get into a local church, start attending church. And, and that's true. I, I mean, two-thirds of the New Testament is written to local churches scattered throughout Asia Minor. When you read the book of Acts, you discover that whenever someone gave their heart and life to Jesus, they became a disciple, a, a follower of Jesus. They got connected to local churches to worship, to, to study the Word together, to fellowship together. But that's not what I'm talking about. Others of you may say, well, you need to get baptized. And I would say a hearty amen to that. Baptism is, is one of the first things that we should do as a new disciple, a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. In Acts chapter 2, when, when Peter and the other disciples were preaching at, at the Feast of Weeks and, and the people's hearts were convicted they said to Peter and the other disciples, what do we need to do? And, and Peter said, you need to repent and be baptized. And the Bible says that the Lord added that day 5,000 men. 5,000 men were baptized in a single day. In Acts chapter 8, when the Ethiopian came to faith in Christ, the very first thing he wanted to do was to be baptized. And when the Philippian jailer came to faith in Christ in Acts 16, he wanted to be baptized, and the Bible says that he and his family were baptized that very same hour. But, but that's not what I'm talking about. You see, what I'm talking about is when we become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, one of the first things that we should desire to do is introduce our friends and our family to Jesus. That's what Andrew did. He found his brother Peter, and he said, we have found the Christ, the Messiah, that's what Philip did. He went looking for Nathaniel, and when he found Nathaniel, he said, we have found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. And, and that's what the Samaritan woman did. She ran to the village and told the people, come meet a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? And that's what the gathering demoniac did. The Bible says that he went from town to to town telling everyone the great things that God had done for him. And we see this in the passage that we're going to look at today. Levi, the, the tax collector, he threw a party and he introduced his friends to Jesus, the man who changed his life. You see, the Bible makes it clear that when we become disciples, followers of Jesus, we will want other people to be disciples, followers of Jesus. Acts 1.8 says, you will be my witnesses, telling people everywhere about me. 
The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And that's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, in the message translation says, but you are the ones chosen by God to do his work, to speak out for him, to tell others the night and day difference he has made in you. You see, when Jesus changes our lives, we become instruments through which God changes the lives of others and ultimately changes the world. That's why Jesus told us to go and make disciples. And so I want us to look at this passage that tells about Levi, or as we know him in other places, Matthew. Now follow along as I begin reading in verse 27. It says, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and, and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and, and need to repent. Now this story begins with Matthew's conversion. Every disciple, every follower of Jesus has a conversion story. John Newton, who was a slave trader who came to faith in Christ, said it this way. He said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Some people come to faith in Christ as a small child. They, they seem innocent in the eyes of the world. Other people come to faith while they are in bondage to sin. And anyone and everyone who knows them knows that these people are sinners. Still other people come to faith in Christ after pursuing other gods or other religions. But every single disciple, every follower of Jesus has a conversion story. Now we learn some things about Matthew's conversion story in verses 27 and 28. Now first, we learn that Levi, Matthew, was most likely from a religious family. Being that his family named him Levi, he was most likely from the tribe of Levi. Levi was the priestly tribe of the nation of Israel. And there is a good chance that he had been, was being trained for the priesthood from a very early age. His parents had high hopes for him. When we read the Gospel of Matthew, we discover that he had a deep knowledge of the Old Testament. We discover a word over and over again, the word fulfill. Matthew tells us how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, both in his life and even in his death. Matthew quoted in the Gospel of Matthew or alluded to the Gospel of Matthew, the Old Testament, over 129 times. Matthew quotes 25 of the 39 books of the Old Testament. He, he quotes from every major section of the Old Testament. It's obvious 
that he was trained in the scriptures. He knew what the Bible had to say. But as Matthew got older, he evidently rejected his family's values. And instead of becoming a priest, he decided that he would go the way of the world and become a tax collector, collecting money for the Roman government. Parents, you need to understand that you can do everything you possibly can to train up your child in the way they should go. But in the end, it's their decision whether they will follow Jesus or not. Now, tax collectors were some of the most hated and despised people in all of Israel. The Jews felt like tax collectors had sold their souls to the unclean, the ungodly Romans for the sake of money. If you were a tax collector, you were considered the worst of the worst. You became wealthy at the expense of your own people. The Jewish leader says that it was impossible for a tax collector to repent. Tax collectors were not allowed to worship God in the synagogue. Tax collectors could not give testimony in Jewish courts of law. And Matthew was a tax collector. He had his tax booth on a very well-traveled road. Now, tax collectors like Matthew, they would buy a tax franchise. And they were required to collect a certain amount of taxes and give it to the Roman government. But anything that they collected over and above that, they would keep for themselves because they had bought this franchise. It's kind of like someone buying a franchise today, a Burger King or or a Five Guys, or a Chick-fil-A, or anything like that. You, you buy that franchise, and you give money to the corporate office, but you can keep profits for yourself as well. And that was Matthew. And so these kind of tax collectors, they would tax everything. They would tax imports, and they would tax exports. They would put taxes and tolls on roads. They would put taxes and tolls on bridges, on harbors. They could tax the amount of fish that you caught that you were bringing back to your house. They could tax the amount of donkeys that were going down the road with you. They could tax the amount of wheels that were on the, on the wagon that you, were, that you were pulling behind you. They could tax anything and everything, kind of like the United States today. I mean, they taxed everything. And the only people that would be friends of someone like Matthew or are other people that, that the Jews hated, the Jews looked down upon. And even most of those people would dislike Matthew because Matthew took their money. And so here's Matthew. He's a wealthy man, but most likely a lonely and miserable man. He had everything that money could buy, but the only problem was his money couldn't buy him the one thing that he was looking for, inner peace and, and true joy. But all of that was about to change. Because you see, on this day, Jesus was going to walk past Matthew's tax booth. Now, most likely, Jesus had walked by that booth many times before. But I want you to notice something in verse 27, if your Bibles are still open. It says this, it says, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw. And then that word saw is a very strong word in the Greek. It means to stare at. To focus on deliberately. In other words, Jesus didn't just give a casual glance to Matthew. 
Jesus stopped and he began to stare intently at Matthew. Have you ever had anyone do that to you? I mean, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Now, can you imagine Jesus, the Son of God, staring at you? But I want you to understand, Jesus wasn't just looking at Matthew. Jesus was looking into Matthew. He was looking into his heart, into his spirit, into his soul. And I believe that Jesus is doing that with each and every one of us, even in this very moment. The Bible says that, that God, that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God knows the longings of your heart. God knows the desires of your heart. God knows whether the pleasures of this world have satisfied your soul or whether you're still looking for something more, something better. And I believe that was Matthew. Even though he had everything that money could buy, what he truly wanted was lacking. Now it seems obvious to me that, that Matthew knew about Jesus. He probably had heard him teach before. Most likely he had seen Jesus do a miracle or two. And I'm convinced that because of his background in Scripture, he had begun to put the pieces together. He was wondering, could this Jesus, who has walked past my tax booth on multiple occasions, could this be the Messiah, the one who can bring peace to the world, the one who can bring peace to my heart? But I imagine as he was thinking about that, he was also thinking, but, but Jesus could never accept me. I mean, after all, I'm a tax collector. I'm the most despised of all the people in Israel. And then all of a sudden, as Jesus stood there staring at him, Matthew heard the words, follow me. Well, what's crazy is the words that Matthew heard are the same words that Jesus says to each and every one of us today, follow me. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus looks deep within you. And he says, follow me. Jesus is the only one who can give you what you're looking for. Tax collector, follow me. Prostitute, follow me. Adulterer, follow me. Thief, follow me. If this world has left you empty, follow me. I'm what you're looking for. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. Follow me. Now I want you to listen. Jesus is calling each and every one of us today. And he wants us to respond. Don't overthink it. Don't talk yourself out of it. Follow him. I mean, that's what Jesus, or that's what Matthew did. When Jesus gave the invitation, Matthew got up, 
The Bible says he left everything and followed Jesus. His response was wholehearted. He totally left his tax business. He made a complete break. He shut it down. I believe that he closed the front of that booth and he put a sign on it out of business. He didn't collect his shekels. He didn't get his paperwork. He left it all behind to follow Jesus. The four fishermen who became disciples, followers of Jesus, they could go back to their fishing business if they wanted to. I mean, there was a lake. They had a boat. They could still go out on the lake and catch fish and sell those fish. But Matthew, when he left that tax booth, he was cutting the cord. There were plenty of people waiting behind him, eager to buy that franchise from the government so they could make the money, so they could become rich. There was no going back for Matthew. He left everything. Jim Elliott is famous for his saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Matthew left it all, his comfort, his lucrative career, his self-centered ways, his sinful practices. He left it all to follow Jesus. So what about you? Have you left it all? follow him will you but that's not the end of the story you see Jesus doesn't just save us and call us for our own good the Bible makes it clear that Jesus saves us and calls us for the good of others and so as we continue Matthew's story we see Matthew's concern shortly after we don't know how long but shortly after Matthew began following Jesus. He invited all of his friends, all of his former co-workers to a party at his house. And the reason was so that he could introduce them to Jesus. You see, once Matthew began to follow Jesus, he wanted all of his friends to know and follow Jesus. And I think that that's normal. You see, if our relationship with Jesus hasn't given us a desire to bring other people to Jesus, then something is wrong with that relationship. So what about you? Do you know a friend? Do you know a co-worker, a relative, someone who goes to school with you who needs Jesus? The truth is, some of them may never meet Jesus unless you introduce them to Jesus. Now for Matthew, the best way for him to expose as many of his friends as possible to the one who changed his life was to throw a party and have Jesus as the guest of honor. And that's what he did. Now, I want you to listen to me. We should invite our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, complete strangers to church. We should invite people to church. That's why when, when we start every new series, we, we print up thousands of invite cards. We want you to take these cards with you and as you go through the drive-thru, as you check out at the grocery store, wherever you are, give someone a card, invite them to church. Who knows? God may use that to change their life, but I want you to listen. 
We will never change the world by simply inviting people to church. We will change the world when we become the church in our neighborhoods inviting people to Jesus. And that's what Matthew did. You see, Jesus told us to be fishers of men. And here's one thing I know. If I want to go fishing, I don't fill up my bathtub with water and cast a line in my bathtub. If I want to go fishing, I don't go online and order a cool of, cooler of fish and fish in that cooler. If I want to go fishing, I go out to the lake and I get on the dock or I get on a boat and I get in the water and I cast my line in the water where the fish are. You see, if we're going to go fishing, we have to go where the fish are. Now, here's the point. If you and I are going to change the world the way Jesus wants us to change the world, we're going to have to rub shoulders, spend time with people who are far from Jesus. But all too often, the exact opposite is true. We get saved and we separate ourselves from sinners. Our desires change, our habits change, and so our friends change. But the Bible says that, that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Matthew didn't invite the religious leaders to his party. He invited the tax collectors, the, the irreputable people of his day to his home. If you're ever going to be used by Jesus to see lives change, you're going to have to spend time with people who need Jesus to change their lives. And to be honest with you, I've not been very good at that. Now, now it's not that I have intentionally separated myself from, from sinful people. It just happens. I mean, you, you work in a church. Your friends are believers. Most of your family knows Jesus. And you just find yourself hanging out, enjoying time with people who love Jesus. And yet Jesus was a friend of sinners, and he wants us to introduce our friends to him. So Matthew's life has changed, and he throws this party to introduce all of his sinner friends to Jesus. And that takes us to the final truth, Jesus' clarification. When the religious leaders of Jesus' day saw Jesus eating with all these sinful people, they asked Jesus' disciples, why is Jesus eating with these sinful people? The New Living Translation translates it, the scum of the earth. And that's how the religious people looked at those who were caught up in the bondage of sin. They saw them as the scum of the earth. They were convinced that, that a religious man should have anything to do with sinful people. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, prided themselves on their ability to keep themselves clean by the distance that they kept between themselves and sinners. They had a rabbinical saying that went like this. Let not a man associate with the wicked, not even to bring him near to the law. Did you hear that? It's so important, they said, that you don't associate with the wicked, that you don't even get close to the wicked to share with them the word of God. You don't have anything to do with them. Now understand, 
The Bible says that we are to be a separate people. We are to be a holy people. But the Bible doesn't say we're to avoid sinners. There's a big difference between separating ourselves from sin and isolating ourselves from sinners. The truth is we can never be salt and light in isolation. Salt has to be rubbed into the meat for it to be effective. Light has to shine in darkness for it to be effective. So Jesus says to them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Now here's the truth. None of us are healthy. We're all sick. We've all been infected by a deadly disease called sin. But tragically, there are many of us who are walking around filled with sin, filled with this disease, and we don't even know it. Here's the key. Religious people look at themselves and they think, I'm pretty good. I'm spiritually okay. But people who know Jesus look at themselves and they say, I have no hope apart from Jesus. That's what Isaiah did. Isaiah said, I am doomed. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among people of unclean lips. That's what Peter did. Peter said to Jesus, depart from me. I am a sinful man. The apostle Paul the greatest missionary the church ever has known. He knew this. He called himself the chief of all sinners. You see, Jesus came to save sinful people. Then Jesus said this. He said, for I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. Now, don't miss that. You see, before Jesus can help us, we have to know we need help. And we need to be willing to turn from our sin and turn to him for help. That's what repentance is. So Jesus calls those who are lost, not those who think they are good. You need to understand, the Christian faith isn't for good people. It's for people who know that they're bad. Salvation isn't for the righteous. It's for those who know that they are not righteous. It's for people who hunger and thirst after righteousness and realize that their best efforts are but filthy rags. It's not for those who think they've already achieved it. There's only one qualification to become a follower of Jesus. You need to know you're a sinner. And as a sinner, you need to want to turn from that sin and follow Jesus. The number one reason why people don't come to Jesus is because they don't see themselves as spiritually sick. They don't see themselves in need of a doctor. They look at themselves and they don't believe they need a savior. Donald Trump once said, and I pray and I hope that his mind changed on this. Some people say it did. But Donald Trump once said, I don't need some person to die on a cross for me. Donald Trump needs a savior. I need a savior. Joe Biden needs a savior. 
you need a Savior. And until we come to that point where we realize we're spiritually destitute apart from Jesus' saving grace, we will never experience the mercy of the Savior. So I've got two questions for you this morning. First, are you a sinner? Do you realize you've sinned and your desire is to turn from sin and turn to Jesus? If you're here today and you haven't done that, then my call to you today is don't let anything keep you from giving your heart and life to Jesus. Make the decision to follow him today. And then second, if you have been saved, you know you're a sinner, Jesus saved you, he's changed your life, then I invite you to begin to throw parties and invite your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, even complete strangers to know the one that you now know who's changed your life. You see, that's what Jesus wants us to do with our life. He wants us to go and make disciples. When we become a disciple, he wants us to make everybody else a disciple. And so have you become a disciple? Have you made the decision to follow Jesus? If not, then I beg you today, humble yourself before Jesus and don't let anything keep you from leaving everything behind and letting Jesus be your Savior. But second, if you are a Christ follower, then I want to encourage you to get on with the mission that he's given each of us to make disciples. He didn't call us to go to church, though we need to be in church. He called us to go into the world and make disciples. That's what we need to do. That's the only way that this world is going to be changed. Father God, this is your time. And I ask you to have your way in each and every one of our hearts. Lord, I pray today that, that if there be anyone in this room who has not acknowledged their sinfulness before you, trusted Jesus to be their Savior, and made the commitment to follow you wherever you lead, I pray today they will have the boldness and the courage to leave it all behind to follow you. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us who are Christ followers will make a commitment this week to begin to go into our world and like Matthew, throw parties inviting our friends to, to get to know Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name.